You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. I want to talk about suffering. We have all experienced suffering in this life. Uh, to some degree or another. And for some, it could be uh, lengthy and, and difficult. For others, it could be seasonal. But it is an inevitable reality of being human that we will go through suffering. It could be physical. It could be emotional. We go through physical and emotional and then also spiritual suffering at times where we're battling and fighting and, and doing the things that God has called us to do, also through prayer. And, and yet there's a, a, a difficulty and, and things that we walk through that are just not what we would call fun or maybe we would hope to avoid altogether but we will go through difficulties and disasters and calamities in this life and they bring suffering into our lives not to mention the the personal and individual suffering that we'll go through but then on top of that we also have the the kind of corporate suffering as there are people that we don't even know but yet are made in the image of God that are going through difficult and horrific things we're bombarded with news and we can pick up our our mobile device and just see all kinds of things and it and it's not usually good it's just awful stuff time and time again and images of just brokenness death, murder, human trafficking, abortion, abuse, terminal illness, you name it. There's there's all kinds of human suffering. And as Christians, we can't be apathetic or indifferent to suffering of people made in the image of God the Father. Even in India right now, it's it's an apocalyptic type thing that they're dealing with and, and burning bodies and just all kinds. I was actually in a conversation recently about that and, and I said I mean they're they're burning bodies in, in the streets thousands upon thousands of people are dying and they're like well you know their population's over a billion and so there's going to be at least a percentage of them that have to die because and I'm like hello are you human I don't care what percentage of their population it is it's people made in the image of God and suffering and dying and losing dignity and there's living family members and parents and children that are suffering and all of this is something that is a part of the human condition but as Christians we cannot be indifferent to the enormity of human suffering around us as is often the case we can have unhealthy responses right to a lot of things that we deal with The first one is to just kind of be indifferent or apathetic and numb ourselves with diversion or all kinds of other things so that we just don't even think about all the things that are going on. The other thing is that we can have some unhealthy emotional responses because it is so overwhelming. We could be overwhelmed. We could be angry. We could be depressed because we try to handle and fix things in our human strength. But what we have to remember is human strength cannot fix what is only supernaturally can be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to talk about today. The supernatural power that I'm talking about is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that everyone that is called by his name has living and breathing and indwelling inside of us. And that is the name that we call on. Even in the midst of 
of horrific human suffering. God have mercy. Lord, I, 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 this is, breaks my heart. And we've actually talked about over the last few weeks of finding some way that we can respond to some of the human suffering that's going on in the nation of India because God cares about the nations. He cares about people. And we have some friends in ministry over there and connections, and we're trying to see if there's something that we can do on our side financially to help as well as to pray. And although suffering is inevitable as believers, we know it's not what God intended. This is not what God intended when he created the earth and it was good and he created man and he created woman and it was good. However, because of the fall and the rebellion and the disobedience of man and of woman, right, the sin entered the world and now suffering is inescapable. It's something that is natural to our human experience. But there is one who suffered that did not need to. There is one who suffered that wasn't supposed to, didn't have to, didn't deserve it. And his name is Jesus. We're in the series on the Apostles' Creed and we're looking at the doctrines of faith that are upheld and affirmed through the summaries of faith in the Apostles' Creed. And that's really what it is, right? It's a summary of a Christian faith that we can then recite and memorize and affirm, but why? Because it's important to know what we believe if we're going to stand for something in a difficult world full of suffering. And it's important to know not just what we believe, but why we believe it. If you don't know what you believe and why you believe it, when the tests come, we will fail. So we want to know what, we want to know why, and that's what the Apostles' Creed does. It's basically like spiritual cliff notes for us as to what Christians believe. Today I want to look at this. I believe Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. That's what we're going to unpack today. Jesus, first of all, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Jesus suffered As I was writing that down and reading that this week, I was just like, I hate that. I hate the thought that Jesus had to suffer. You see, we understand that because as we think about Jesus suffering as humans, when we encounter death, you know what we're usually concerned about our loved ones? This is the question that we ask. Did they have to suffer? We understand death a little bit. We know the pain of that. We know the sorrow. We know the grief. But what we want to know about those that we truly love is, did they have to suffer? And that's one of the things about a lot of the illnesses, particularly even as we go through COVID and the stuff like that. And I don't care what you think about it, if it's a pandemic or whatever, but here's the deal. The people that die from it suffer. They can't breathe. And what is God but the breath of life? They're alone. And what is God but a relational God that we can be face to face? I'm telling you, it's ungodly. And it's suffering. It's human suffering. Death is hard enough, but suffering was never meant for humans to experience. Suffering means bearing pain, and in this case, being the object affected by someone else's action, like it's inflicted upon them, so they're suffering. So Jesus, watch this, was the object of suffering because of the actions of sinful people, right? Jesus is the object of suffering because of our sinful actions. The Latin word for suffering is 
passus, and what it is is it means passion. That's where we get our word passion from, the passion of the Christ. Both Matthew 27 and 28 mention this suffering in the beginning of the story as Pontius Pilate enters into the narrative to inflict this suffering upon Jesus and crucify him. He's left with that decision. Am I going to let him go, let him go free, or are we going to say, yes, crucify him? So if you have your Bible today, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 18. I'm going to read this particular passage. As I said, it's also in Matthew 27, the narrative of the passion of the Christ. But I want to use this one, and I'll mention Matthew 27 in just a second. Verse 36 of John 18, we read, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Now we don't really know his attitude behind that question. We don't know if he was having some sort of existential moment about what is truth, or if he was being sarcastic, or if he was being mad, or if he really wanted to know. We don't really know. What we do know from the lengthier description in Matthew about the passion of Christ is that Pilate had this decision. He said, look, I find no guilt with this man. I'm washing my hands of this man. I don't, I don't know anything. There's nothing wrong. Don't, you want me to release him or this convicted insurrectionist over here? Which one? He's innocent. No, crucify him. And in that particular narrative in Matthew, he washes his hands and says, I have nothing to do with his death. This is what J.I. Packer says about Pontius Pilate. Having symbolically washed his hands of the matter, the goofiest gesture perhaps of all time, gave the green light for judicial murder, directing Jesus, though guiltless, should die all the same to keep people happy. To keep the people happy happy. Pilate was the governor of Judea, AD 26 to AD 36. Historical fact. He went down in history as the man who killed Jesus. So have you ever wondered, hey, this is the guy that killed Jesus. Why in the world did he make it into the Apostles' Creed? Why are we affirming that? Why don't we just leave him out, right? No, the reality is because of the mention of Pontius Pilate, that he suffered under him, there is credibility brought because mentioning Pilate emphasizes that Christ's suffering was in fact a historical event. Pontius Pilate was there. He said, crucify him. And the passion of the Christ began. Was it just a historical fact that we affirm? But the suffering of Jesus was also prophesied in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, I'll read from chapter 52 verses 1 or verse 14. And he said this, Jesus would come as a suffering servant. That's what Isaiah was saying. Just as there were many who were appalled at him. Why? Because his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. That's suffering. It's unrecognizable, appalled at his appearance. There was no open casket where they were just late making him look perfect and asleep. It was horrific, and everybody saw. 
the eternal son, entered the world and stood before a farce of a human court, if you will, convicted him of crimes that he didn't commit. And this event really happened. That's what we affirm when we say he suffered under Pontius Pilate. This event really happened. God, both fully man and fully God, experienced real suffering at a specific point in history. And the question in this begs is, what other God punishes himself and goes through suffering on behalf of those that he loves? It's scandalous that this would happen. And yet, this is what God did. That's why people are ashamed of the cross. A God would never be punished and, uh, and suffer and beaten and broken and unrecognizable. What kind of God is that? Here's some amazing truths around the suffering of Christ and why this was, in fact, God taking our place. Peter tells, while preaching the gospel in Acts 2, 23, he says this, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by hands of lawless men. This scripture highlights a divine paradox, if you will. It's a paradox that both God and man were agents of Jesus' suffering and crucifixion. How is that possible? That God's purpose and foreknowledge was going on at the same time that men were brutalizing our Savior. And here's what we understand. God's purpose and foreknowledge stand as necessary factors behind whatever happens in this earth. Yet, whatever happens occurs through the agency of wicked people expressing their own human freedom. God's purpose at the cross was real, and it was as real as the guilt of the crucifiers at the same time. A paradox, and yet true. Because we often say, was, was it God or was it man? It was God's divine purpose, Peter said, that he would be crucified at the hands of evil men. But what was God's purpose? What was the grand purpose of his suffering and crucifixion? Because God always has a purpose. He always has a purpose for our pain, for those who are called according to his purpose. There is no suffering that we go through that is wasted in Christ Jesus if we put our hope and our trust in him. This is what the cross tells us as well, that God has a purpose for the pain that we go through. And in this case, the purpose of the pain of our Savior was judgment on sin for the sake of mercy given to sinners like me and you. It was the punishment of sin so that we could receive mercy. And at the same time, the passion of Christ is also supposed to comfort us in our own suffering. That the things that we go through in this life, we don't go through alone. That God doesn't not know what's going on. That he understands that he is with us in the middle of it. That he is walking through everything that we walk through with us. That Jesus, our Savior, suffered. And that we think about that and we affirm that and we declare that. It is supposed to be a holy consolation for us. It's supposed to be comfort and solace that we have a savior that did the same for us i love that the holy consolation that christ suffered for us that jesus our savior suffered for us contrary to some bad biblical teaching believing in christ does not exempt you from suffering in this world 
As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that some of the suffering you go through in this world will be because of your belief and faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, verse 20? Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. In this life, you will have trouble. In this life, you will go through things where people say things about you and, and, and hate you and want to hurt you because they did the same thing to me. But here's the good news of our suffering again. Our suffering again always has a purpose. God is always leading us to a place if we put our trust in him where that suffering is not wasted, but it has a purpose and a divine purpose. And part of that is for us to learn endurance. And the Bible says endurance, perseverance, then that would lead to character. And then that character then leads to hope, a living hope in a resurrected Savior and Lord. There is purpose in your pain. And here's the truth. Do not give up just because things get difficult. Do not cash it in just because things get frustrating and hard and they're, they're not happy right now and I don't feel a lot of, of a, a victory in my life right now. What Jesus proved on the cross was that God could take the worst thing in human history and turn it into the greatest thing in human history. So no matter what we go through, we look to the suffering of Christ on the cross knowing that God can use our pain and suffering for his greater purpose because of his deep love for us but you can't give up and it's not willpower I'm not telling you to just like to come on you can do this pull through no that's not it it's surrender it's give up give up to Jesus while you stand firm in the middle of whatever it is that you're going through said I am not quitting I'm not giving up Jesus didn't quit I'm not going to quit he understood suffering that I could never comprehend and I'm going to stand firm I'm not this is a time in history church this is a time in history right now where it's dark and it's difficult and a lot of times we feel overwhelmed and there's not a lot of happy thoughts and there's not a lot of happiness a lot of times but there is great joy in our salvation and what we need to understand is we stand in the joy of our salvation and although there's suffering and things that overwhelm us and things that are difficult and things that are hard and frustrating Jesus is still with us he's walked through it all and he's going to continue to walk through it all with us we have to stand firm what I'm trying to say this morning is all God's people deserve for eternity what Christ took in our place in the cross God poured out eternal punishment due for each and every sin committed by those that he created and Jesus endured it all, suffered it all. He took it upon himself. Christ suffered so that we who put our faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord will never have to endure the finality and the horror of the fires of hell. And what I'm trying to say is the suffering of Christ demands a response from those who belong to him. Demands a response. We can't just talk about the suffering of Christ and go, well, that, that's cool. It's not cool. It's awful. It's awful. And yet, God predestined, foreknew, had a purpose that Christ would suffer for you and I so that we could have life. 
Paul demonstrates two truths in imitating the suffering of Christ in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 through 11. If you have your Bible again, you could turn there or use your mobile device to follow along or it'll be up on the screen. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of the resurrection and may share in his what? Sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. First, we see Paul says he suffered the loss of the world and all that it has to offer in order to gain a relationship with Christ. He said it's rubbish. Those of you who've been around a long time, remember that with the Greek word for rubbish is scubula. It's basically a euphemism for crap, except worse. But I won't say the other word, right? It's, it's, he said it's just crap compared to knowing Jesus Christ is my Lord. Look, all the world has to offer, all the money, all the security, all the safety, all the freedom, all of it, although it's nothing wrong with it and it's fine, but apart from Christ, it means nothing. And compared to Christ, it's absolutely crap. To know him, Paul's saying, I'd give up my house. I'll go live in a tent, which is what he did. I'll be beaten, I'll be flogged, I'll be shipwrecked, I'll be lost at sea, I'll be imprisoned, I'll be bitten by snakes, I'll be beaten more than one time, left for dead more than one time, I'll be blind for the sake of knowing Jesus. And man, I don't want to get up and come to church when it rains. As I told the men, you know, on Friday, there's times where like, I don't want to go hang out with these guys. It's not personal. It's me. It's me. It's my problem. And yet Jesus says, listen, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't cash it in. I'm with you in the middle. It's hard. I know it's hard for you right now. But I'm with you. I'm trying to teach you something. I'm trying to show you something. I'm trying to grow something in you. And secondly, we see that Paul knew that following Christ's suffering was worth it. It's worth it. That's what we don't understand. And, and, I, and then we'll never understand this side of heaven how much worth it is to follow Jesus. We'll never understand. But as much as we can to, to win for the Lamb the rewards of his suffering, that we would say, God, we want to live for you. It's worth it. A lot of people tell you things are worth it, right? Whatever it is, like the food that you're going to eat or the, the ride that you're going to stand in line for six hours to ride, the concert that you're waiting in line for, or the, the digital, you know, crypto coin you're waiting to have drop that you could get. Well, it's worth the wait. Worth the cost, worth the line, worth the time, worth the effort. Shoot, people themselves claim they're worth it. Fifth Harmony did in 2015. Baby, I'm worth it. Worth what? I mean, there, what is the cost and what is the value? Cost to value. We all understand this. Like the cost of climbing a mountain to the value of seeing the vista. 
I know I've told the story before, but I was in South Africa and we were about to fly back. And on the day we were about to fly back, it was a late flight. All the flights leaving out of Cape Town were like late at night. So we had all day and really nothing going on. So this guy that was down there working, I believe he was from France actually, and he was, his name was Saul. I should have known something. <laughs> Let us go down this path together. No, Saul, I, do, I will not. <laughs> Unless we're going to see Jesus. And then he wanted to go climb a mountain. Like, we're going to go climb a mountain. I'm like, before I get on a plane, that doesn't sound like, no, it'll be easy. I do it all the time. Okay. When I tell you I wanted to kill that man halfway up that mountain, it's not an exaggeration. In my legs, my, my thighs, my quads, every muscle that I had that I didn't even know I had was hurting. And there's no railing. There's nothing to pull up on. It's all your body. And by the time you get up there, you're like, there's no way this is worth it. Unless Jesus is up there going, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute Brent? <laughs> but there I am. And you know what? It was actually, it was worth it. Now, it wasn't worth the leg cramps that I had for that 18-hour flight afterwards. That was awful. Women, you know what it's like, right, to go through the, some of you, the pain of childbirth, and it's worth it when you hear that cry and you hold that child. Cost to value. Pain versus the value of that pain. And what we see in Jesus' suffering, that the Christian suffering culminates in a resurrection because of what Christ has done. For you and I, the suffering that we go through culminates in a resurrection, a new eternal body, secured in heaven forever by the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Whatever we suffer in this life, when we see Jesus face to face, we will say that it was rubbish what I went through. It was all that I could do to get through it, God, but it's more than worth it. I worship you. Creed goes on to say, crucified, dead, and buried. As I said a moment ago, the purpose of suffering in the cross was judgment for sin and mercy for sinners like me. The story of the cross is a story really of God's great love for sinners. And these three words, crucified, dead, and buried, tell the story of the cross in its power and in its brutal force at the same time. That he was crucified by evil men, that he was dead, and that he was buried in all of this imperfect fulfillment of God, the Father Almighty's perfect plan. See, the, Christ, the crucifixion was the ultimate display of animosity towards God's authority. And we all understand that, right? We all understand when somebody tries to exercise authority in our life that our first human inclination is to reject it. No matter how much that person loves you, mom, dad, no matter how much you love that child, whenever you try to exert authority, their first response typically is to reject it and to rebel against it, even if all that you're doing is because you love them. We understand this in life, when somebody loves us and does this for us. We understand it when Pastor Brent is teaching and he says something that I don't like and I disagree with because he loves us and he's trying to be obedient to his heavenly Father that although I want to reject it and run from it, he's doing this because of God's great love for us and maybe I should listen. And what about Jesus? That all that he did to come, to suffer, to condescend, to be a baby, to go through all the things that he did, to meet with people, to love people, to, to reach out to the marginalized and the untouchable, all the things that he did to prove his love, and our response was to crucify him. Why? Because although we loved all of his miraculous displays of love and coming to earth, we hated his claim of lordship over our lives. And it's still the same today. We love Jesus as Savior, but we often loathe him as Lord. 
This is where we have to confess and repent of our rebellious hearts that we all have to deal with. If he is king over all, that means he's king of my life. And if he's king of my life, then I surrender completely and utterly everything that I have and I submit it to his loving rulership in my life because I know it's for his purposes, even if it's difficult. Are you prone to ever demand what you want in life? Oh, of course not. You never, you're never, you never pitch a fit about anything, I'm sure. My actual proposal is that we are all toddlers with just more expensive toys. Just get on social media every now and then. We're all toddlers fighting for attention, fighting for somebody to hear us, mad because somebody didn't hear us, mad because somebody said something about us, took our toy and we want it back. But whenever we insist on our own way, we resist the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. And like Jesus crucified his will to the Father, we that follow in his footsteps must crucify our will, our desires, our desires as we said last week, to get the last word in, to get back, to do whatever it is that we like to do, to, do, to get our demands not answered necessarily. We have to crucify those with Christ. And the crucifixion highlights the ugliness of sin in our hearts that something like this horrific had to happen in order to bring forgiveness but also it shows us how much God hates sin. All sin. And although we like to put them in categories of really bad ones and not so, that's not so bad, that's in my life, but that's not so bad. This is in their life, it's really bad. God says no from the largest in your mind to the smallest, every single one of them would have sent Jesus to the cross. And all of them did. I again want to emphasize God's sovereignty in the midst of this tragedy, however. Jesus did not suffer and die in a way that was out of his control because God is always in control. John 10 clarifies it for us when Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You see, crucifixions were the Romans' way of telling everybody they had the power over life and death so that you should fear them and do what they say. That's why they would often put the crosses on busy roads so that everybody could travel by and see and be terrified about their authority, their authority with zero compassion and vulnerability. This is why they crucified Jesus. And yet his apparent defeat was actually a victory and it triumphed over those who were trying to conquer him. This is why as Christians we look to the cross not as an instrument of death, not as something that has, has caused us something that we can't recover from. We look at it through the resurrection and we see that Jesus on the cross is a victor and not a victim. That's why we can look at our lives as victorious and not as victims as well. That's why every Christian, no matter what we go through, no matter what we suffer, we don't have a victim mentality. We have a victorious mentality, which doesn't mean that that wasn't bad or awful or terrible or suffering. It just means that Jesus was in the middle of that with you, and he's going to change you because of that. And in the end, you are going to be victorious because that's what Christ purchased for you on the cross. Somebody needs to hear that today. We are not victims, but we're victorious in Christ I want you to see the importance of what the gospel proclaims and what we affirm in this creed. In the crucifixion, we see the depth of God's hatred towards sin. In Christ's death, we see the tragic consequences of our rebellion against God. And in the cross, we also learn the depths of God's love for all of us. Thankfully, he didn't leave us to our own devices and our own sin. He instead came to redeem, restore, and to rescue us from Satan's grip by delivering us his own son to take our place. 
And in Christ's death, we have been reconciled back to God. Here's what Jesus' death did. It purchased a people and it created the church. And that's who we are today. What about buried? This is the last word in this creed that we look at today. We serve a risen Lord. So why do we talk about him being crucified, dead, and buried? He's not. Why does that matter? Well, the cultural belief was that you had to be buried and dead for three days or else you really weren't dead then there could be some question as to whether you were really dead. And there's still these ridiculous kind of conspiracy theories. Oh, he just swooned or he just passed out. I'm like, uh, no, he was dead. And that's why he, we say he was buried. That means dead, dead, really dead, historically dead, clinically dead, every way dead. And despite the cultural belief that maybe he wouldn't be, this says, yes, he was. But on the third day, when he was actually dead, he rose again. But the burial describes something else astounding. I want to read this. Nicodemus, John chapter 19, also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices as it is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. I want you to notice this. Nicodemus, the last we heard of him was John 3 when he was trying to figure out how he's going to go back in his mom's womb and be born again. Right? That was, that's, he's like, you got to be born again, Nicodemus. How do I do that? I, I go, how do I? I don't get it. No, 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 no. Not physically born again. Spiritually born again. And obviously Nicodemus understands now what that means because here he is showing up at the burial of his Savior and Lord. And what we see is he comes to bury Jesus not as a mere man but as a king. Much like the wise men acknowledged Jesus and showed up at his birth and acknowledged his kingship at the beginning of his life with myrrh. And now with myrrh and aloe, which was practiced for the burial of kings, not commoners, Nicodemus knows who Jesus is, and he uses these things for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We see in the tomb what we saw in the cradle. We see him as king, naked as a baby. We see him king, naked on the cross. We see him as king in the buried tomb. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. And we see the paradoxical collision of the full horror of human sin and the infinite scandalous love of God for us in Jesus Christ. I'll close with reading this passage from Romans 5. Again, if you have your Bible, you could turn there. Such a powerful verse. Whenever we talk about why does the past matter? Why does history matter? Why should we remember correctly? Why do we affirm things and talk about things in the Bible that happened thousands of years ago? And then also why history in general matters. Why? This verse tells us. Why does it matter what other people did? This verse tells us. Why does it matter what other people did that I had no part of? This verse tells us. Therefore, just as sin came into the world, though, through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Thank you, Adam. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more had the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, 
Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass because we could never live by it. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Whoo, that's powerful. When I read that very simply, Jesus changed everything. His death, his suffering, his crucifixion, And his resurrection changed everything. And now because of that, we can have a right relationship with God and have all of our sins forgiven. We're no longer enemies of God, but now we're children of God. We no longer have to have the wrath of God poured out on us. We have the righteousness of God poured out on us. If you're in Christ, you are fully and completely, utterly forgiven. There is no sin that you've done, will ever do, or could even concoct in your mind that is more powerful than the cross of Jesus Christ. Nothing. And when Jesus said, it is finished, or the Greek word, tetelestai, he was saying that once and for all, because of what he had done on the cross, salvation had finally, fully, and forever come to any who would call on his name. So let me ask you this as we close out today and think about what God is saying to us. If we believe this to be true about sin and what Christ has done, why is it so hard for us to feel forgiven? If we truly believe that Jesus went through all of these things, suffered and died, crucified, dead and buried, so that we could receive forgiveness, why is it so hard for us to be forgiven? And not like in the difficulty of it, but us accepting it. And the reason many times is because I want you to understand the enemy wants to keep you in bondage to your own sin, both current and in the past. And it could have been years ago and you're still dealing with the the fallout and the ramifications and the guilt and the shame. He wants to keep you bound up through those things, condemnation and guilt, to cripple you and to render you powerless in this life because you won't receive the forgiveness that Jesus' suffering, death, burial, and resurrection purchased for you. But by God's grace, you can. You can be forgiven. And there's others of you, and probably all of us at some point in time, that he wants to also steal. The enemy wants to steal from you. What he wants to steal is he wants to steal joy from your life and the abundance of life that he gives us in Christ by having you walk around in unforgiveness towards others that you need to forgive. He wants you to drink the poison of bitterness and resentment and a hard heart that only destroys you from the inside out. So because of what Christ has done, we can rest in and accept the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross to be forgiven and to forgive others. Let the cross have the final word in your life. Remember the love of God that was viscerally displayed through Jesus Christ on the cross. You are loved. God demonstrated that. And the love of Christ is shown to us on the cross is a free gift to all who accept it. You see, at just the right time, Romans 5 says, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, suffered, crucified, dead, buried, and it affirms the infinite riches of the spectacular, scandalous love of God, the inexhaustible love of God in Christ Jesus for you and me. We can be forgiven, but we also have to continue to forgive. Jesus had to suffer in this life so that you and I could have forgiveness. Guess what? You'll probably have to suffer in this life in order to walk in forgiveness. And if obeying God costs Jesus everything, you can be assured that following Jesus and obeying God will cost us something. But cost to value is incomparable. Doesn't compare. The value of knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord to win for the Lamb the reward of his suffering. I want to read the Apostles' Creed with us all of us together. If you'd stand to your feet, the worship team will begin to move into place. And let's read this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again, and he ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As a reminder, just for those of you who may not know or have said this before, Catholic is little c meaning the church universal, not the denomination. Let's pray. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.